we're in Acts, and, and this is, uh, today, the, the title is, This is About Jesus. Um, you know, we, 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 we do a lot of things, uh, and, and as, in, in church work and in all our work, sometimes um, we, we feel like, uh, sort of like, well, it's Groundhog Day, or we think we can improve on things, and we try to find some, some other thing. And, and, and the church does that. Oh, this will be a great way to do this. But it, the problem is, it's not how God told us to do this. Um, you know, and it may not even, I don't even mean sinfully. I just mean, we think we have a great idea. And we think we can improve on what God said. And, uh, uh, and, and, and that's, not, that's not true. But even more so in this passage that we're going to look at, we see that, that the apostles never lost the point. Um, on Sunday morning, you can come pray with me in the uh, conference room at 7 o'clock if I'm on time. Uh, we, you can come and pray together with me. Uh, Bobby Sims comes almost every week, and, and he keeps pointing out how that the Sunday school lesson in the Gospel Project seems to relate to the sermons all the time. Let me assure you, I never look at the Sunday school material, okay? Uh, it might be a bad confession, but I'm not always in Sunday school, and I don't look at it. I go to some classes, and I, I hear it once I'm there. Um, and he said he, he's amazed at that. But what I found out from years past when, when we were studying the gospel project in Sunday school and I was preaching, even little kids started associating things that I said in a sermon to the Sunday school lesson, even if they were different passages. And one teacher of fourth graders said, one of the students in her class said, well, that's like when Pastor Stewart said, ba 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 ba, And she said it didn't have anything to do with that lesson as far as the text. It wasn't the same text. And she said, why would, why would what Pastor Stewart said about that relate to this? And said, because the whole Bible's about Jesus. And, uh, you know, when Pastor Andy came and musicians, many times they say, well, you know, do you know what you're going to be preaching? We can revolve it around. And, and, and uh, I've kind of adapted the philosophy. If we're always talking about Jesus, it's going to fit somehow anyway, right? Amen? Okay, y'all are kind of... I've already bored you out of your skulls. Yeah, I, I, I'm just saying it's it, it's all about Christ, and uh, you can listen to politicians' speeches, and and you just pick an office where you hear a politician talk a lot, and you'll hear sometimes them talk about themselves, and then you'll hear some that talk about the results of what's going on and how things are going without talking about themselves. And so, I mean, you know, we are all self-centered. We all want to talk about us. If you start talking to a stranger and you ask them questions about themselves and let them tell you, and then you don't try to top their story with one of your own, they'll leave saying you are the greatest person talked to ever because you didn't try to put yourself on them. Well, guess what? We are called to be witnesses of, of Christ. Yeah, of Jesus Christ. That's our job, and we can't improve on that. Billy Graham, when he preached, if you go back and hear one of his sermons, listen to it. His sermons were chock full. And by chock full, I mean it, it was over 75, 80%. He was just quoting the scriptures. Very few. He just connected scriptures together with phrases. I mean, his sermons were just scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. He was talking about Christ. And when people would try to get, we want you to. You know, come out for our cause here, our cause there. He said, God called me to talk about Jesus. The only thing I know is God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He was just determined not to let anybody distract him from that. And nobody ever did, thankfully. 
But here's what I want you to take home with you today. And this is going to sound weird, okay? It's not doing things in Jesus' name. It's making everything about Jesus. Now, my wife said, honey, you just did a whole thing on prayer last year. And, and you're talking all the time about how we need to do it in Jesus' name. We even have these signs up here about Jesus is the name that saves. Jesus uh, heals all hurts. And what do you mean? Well, I should have put the word just. It's not just doing things in Jesus' name. But, it, but in case that really bothers you, that I said it that way, and, and you might not have even been bothered if I hadn't pointed it out to you. But look at Matthew 7. Verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Romans 10, 9 says, whoever confesses with the mouth, confesses Jesus as Lord will be saved. Jesus said, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, you confess Jesus with your life, not with your mouth. And I'll come to a verse later that basically says that. Verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. When we do the right thing in the wrong way, it's the wrong thing. In Jesus' economy. He calls on us, and, and this demand is so great, we almost can't comprehend it. And so I bring you with that thought to Acts chapter 5. All the apostles have been arrested. All of them have been thrown in jail. All of them are standing. And last week, or last time I preached, we, we were in verse 29. And I'm going back to verse 29. Let me read. Would you stand up with me? We'll read these verses, 29 to 32. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. Your version may say prince and savior. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Only a few short verses, but friends, Peter said a lot in those few short verses. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I thank you that in that moment you inspired Peter to say things that, Lord, we could spend months talking about the different things in that text, going deeper and deeper and deeper into each subject. So, Lord, today as we kind of go over the top of it and pick out these big peaks of, of truth, Lord, I pray that you would call in our, to our mind the things that we need to drill down on and, and, and mine out of, of the riches of your word. Give us grace. Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, keep me, spare me from saying anything that's my opinion, anything that, uh, that comes out of me, but may... The source of my words be your word. And the source of truth is only your truth, the, the word of God. Lord, we ask you right now to pour out in a fresh way. Lord, we know the Holy Spirit is with those who believe. But we ask, Lord, that, that today you would make us conscious and aware, Holy Spirit, of Jesus and of the truth of your word. And in Jesus' name, Lord, if anyone doesn't know you today, I pray that the Holy Spirit would bring conviction 
to them. And uh, Lord, to those who are saved, that you'd bring conviction to us about how we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Y'all can be seated. Peter starts off with a bang in this passage. I'm just going to tell you, Peter, after the resurrection of Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit, Peter becomes the man. I mean, before that, you weren't sure which way he's going to go. But after that, uh, with one exception, Peter is the man, okay? Uh, One time he started to slip a little bit, but... God had given him the Apostle Paul to help him out in that. But Peter looks at these guys who can kill him. He's got all the apostles there. What Peter does and says may determine the the absolute future of Christianity. In fact, it does do that. And he goes for broke. He doubles down. He doesn't play. He does not punt. He goes for the touchdown and makes it. He says... You are the enemies of God to the Sadducees. He looks at the most religious guys on the planet and says, you're opposed to God. Now that does not go over well. Can you imagine in any religious organization, a member of that organization going to the leadership and saying, you're of the devil. Because if you're not a friend of God, You're the enemy of God. The enemy of God is the devil, right? So you're on his side, right? You with me? That is exactly what Peter says. You said, how how did he say, say that? Listen, Peter is making this plain. He's saying you are the enemy of God. In Matthew 15, there's a lot of good verses in Matthew, I found out. In Matthew 15 and verse 8... Here, here's a, uh, another great scripture. Of course, they're all great. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, reach, uh, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. That's coming out of Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. This is a quote. I said earlier, and I read in another place in Matthew where he said, Jesus said, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't know me. That's with the mouth, but it's not from the heart. I can say a lot of things with my mouth that come from my heart. Right? When, when, when uh, this is a very personal story, so please forgive me. But the very first date Janice and I went on, I met her on a Friday, I guess, Friday afternoon or something. We were at this little conference. Or it might have been Thursday even. I don't remember when it started. But anyway, it was the first night. And uh, and then on Monday, I took her on our first date. We were in Myrtle Beach, but we both lived in Charleston. We met at this conference. We go back all day Sunday. I'm calling her to invite her to come to the church where I'm preaching. And I can't get her. I never asked her for a phone number either. Later, she said, I was hoping you'd call me, but you didn't even ask me for my phone number. And she said, on her way back to Charleston, she was praying, well, Lord, if you want him to call me, I guess you'll work it out. And I said... I wouldn't think you'd want to marry a man not resourceful enough to find your phone number. You know, this is days before cell phones, young people. I mean, she wasn't listed in the book or anything, but I knew her pastor. I called him. I said, you know a girl named Janice? Yeah, she used to, she lived with us one summer. You got her phone number? Sure. And he gave it to me, so I called her. Well, what I didn't know was it was Mother's Day weekend. She had gone off to visit her mom and no cell phone. So you got to call where she lives. She wasn't home. I got her 30 minutes before church started and she lived 45 minutes away. But she came in late. All the little old ladies in the church have been praying for me for six years at that point to get married. Saw her come in and they just fell to their knees and started praying. 
which was awesome. So she came, we went out to Shoney's. I don't count that as a date. Monday night, we went on a date. I said, would you like to go out tomorrow night? She said, sure. I dated her every day for a month, by the way. But I tell you all that to tell you. So we get in the car, and we're going on the date. I said, go, we're going on an official date. I got two rules. I, I had two rules for relationships and dating. And I said, rule number one, I said, no, no ring, no string. That's the motto. And what I mean by that is if I'm not man enough to put a ring on your finger, I can't tell you who to date or not date. That dating is to get to know each other mentally, engagement is to get to know each other spiritually, and you know what's left over for marriage. I said, and if I'm not man enough to put a ring on your finger, I will never tell you I love you. I will never expect you to kiss me. Anything until I put a ring on your finger. I won't say I love you till then. If I'm not man enough to do that, I don't have the right to say I love you. We got married, been married over 30 years now. We got three kids, four grandkids. So you young people going, that would never work. Oh yeah, it works best. But here's my, here's my point. I could have said I love you on that first date. But it wouldn't have meant anything. I thought I loved her. I, I can tell you, the first day I met her, I said, oh, I'm going to marry this chick. Maybe not in those words, but that, <laughs> it comes out better that way. I knew, I knew. I was like, this is the girl. In fact, that Sunday night when she came to church and we went to Shoney's. Some of you young people don't know what Shoney's are, but is but uh the big boy man we that was that was the christian hangout when i was a kid and i had this other preacher friend and he always said you're looking for a girl with marilyn monroe looks with a lottie moon commitment and i i was like yeah pretty much so uh, he was at shoney's he walks up to the car and he goes is this lottie moon i said it might be <laughs> and she didn't know what he was talking about he went oh i'm sorry and she goes what's he talking about i said i'll tell you later so anyway our words are not meaningful if you don't mean them. And you can say, Lord, Lord, all you want and not be 100% sold out to Christ. These Sadducees thought they were serving God, but they were wrong. They're wrong in their doctrine. They're wrong in their theology. They're wrong in their actions. They're totally wrong. And they're, they're messed up. And here's what you and I do. And, and, and I, I'm going to make this even a little more personal here. Do you understand that outside of Christ, you're the enemy of God? James says that, that uh, we make ourselves to be the enemy of God. That we are the enemy of God. If you are outside of Christ, you're on Satan's side. Period. There's no middle ground. There's no gray. It's black or white when it comes to salvation. You're either for God, for Christ, or you're not. You're either in his camp or you're not. And, and even though reading those verses... It, it seems like on Judgment Day is when people thought they were okay, and they're not. They're religious, but they're not redeemed. You see, you can dress up, come to church, put a face on it, and have a heart far from God. That's what Jesus quotes in Isaiah. These people draw near with their lips, but their heart's far from me. Sort of like the kid, you say, take out the garbage. He says, yes, okay, Dad. And he doesn't do it. And you say to the other son, take out the garbage. He goes, no. And then he goes and does it anyway. You want the action rather than the verbal agreement, right? 
That, that's, that's kind of the point. And Peter is making it very plain. Back in verse, chapter 4, verse 19, he said the same thing. But he makes it so plain. He said, because look at verse 31 uh, of chapter 5. He says, we must obey God rather than men. And then he says, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed. How much apart, more apart can you get than that? God raised him from the dead. He's obviously God's man, God's anointed one, God's Messiah. But you killed him. You are in total opposition to God. You say, yeah, those dumb old Sadducees. (laughs) Do you understand what put Jesus on the cross? It was not Jewish leaders or Roman guards. It was your sin. Your indulgence in your appetite. Your lustful looks. Your desire to be important. Drove the nails in his wrist and through his feet. And thrust the spear into his side. We like to blame other people for Jesus' death. But it's you. It's me. We put Jesus on the cross. And here's what Jesus had to say to some pretty good religious folks in Luke 13. Great passage. In Luke 13, he says, there were some present at this very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he said to them, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent... You will all likewise perish. There was a a man named George Whitfield. He was a great preacher. He He lived concurrently with John Wesley, who started the Methodist Church. And these guys were always friends, but they had differing views. And Wesley wrote him one time and talked about his act of repentance. And that, that, you know, he said, but I've repented and, and... You know, these actions bring... And Whitfield wrote back and said, Are you kidding me? I need to repent of my repentance. That even in my repentance, I have a selfish motive. To gain forgiveness of God. That's a selfish motive. Not saying you shouldn't do it for that reason, but Whitfield could see that even in his righteous actions, he was not righteous. That even when when, when he was desiring God above all things... What we have to do is just fall on our face before a holy God and say, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know that passage. Because our sin put Christ on the cross. They had executed him, but God raised him up. And by the way, Peter is getting real personal here. These words in verse 31 where he says, you killed him. It only appears one other time in the book of Acts, and it's Acts 25 when Paul says they grabbed me by their own hands. It means you killed him with your very hands. This probably doesn't translate well, but I think of it, and and please forgive if if this offends or hurts anyone personally, but it, it would be as if I were in an automobile accident and I caused the death of someone, but it was an accident. I didn't mean to, it didn't, you know, it was just a total accident. That's different than me seeing somebody walking down the street and intentionally running them over. That's what Peter's saying. You did this on purpose. You grabbed Jesus with your own hands and you put him on the cross. 
Now, I'm applying it to us because it is our sin why Jesus went to the cross. But Peter's letting them know, you're the agency, you're the agents, you're the ones who grabbed him and stuck him there. It's your fault, basically. It means to put to death. In Deuteronomy 21, the Bible says that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. Do you understand Jesus was cursed for your sin? In Isaiah 51, which we love that passage, but you really need to read the whole chapter. It says, it pleased God to bruise him for our sin. God gave his own son because you messed up. Because Adam messed up and everybody after Adam's messed up. That we're born in sin. We are born in iniquity. And we need a savior from day one. And day one being the day of conception, not the day of birth. We need a savior. You make yourself the enemy of God. Just one other passage, one of my favorites, is Ezekiel. And it's uh, chapter 33, verses 31 through 33. And let me just paraphrase it for time's sake. But he says, everybody runs out to hear you, preacher. They say, oh, what a great preacher. Man, you listen to his sermons like listening to a beautiful song. Man, it's awesome. And then the prophet says... God says through the prophet, but they don't do what you say. They love it. They talk about it. They're excited about it, but they don't do it. He said, then they'll know, you'll know a prophet's been among them. God calls us more to assent. He calls us more to speech. He calls us to action. We can say that we're saved, but apart from repentance... That might be kind of hard to do. Because God does not guarantee a sinning man heaven. You say, now wait a minute. I thought you were Baptist. I thought you believed once saved, always say all that stuff. I do. But Galatians says that when we live a sinful lifestyle, we do not have the guarantee of heaven. In other words, do you act on the actions of God? Look in, in, in back in Acts 5. Look at verse 32. And we are witnesses to these... I'm sorry, verse 31... God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. I just quickly, that word leader, it means chief leader or prince or captain. But what is he the leader of? What is he the captain of? Of eternal life. He is the leader that allows you to repent. He is the captain that gives you a place of repentance. Apart from Christ, we have no hope. Do you understand what Peter's saying? And in, in, in Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. All roads do not lead to Rome. All religions do not teach the same thing. Jesus is exclusive. And you cannot add anything to him. You cannot take anything from him. He's God all by himself. And you cannot get to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. I don't care if you're Jew or, or, or Buddhist or Baha'i or Muslim or Catholic. You can't invoke the name of Mary or Buddha or Muhammad or, or Allah. These are all false gods and false beliefs. There is no other way to heaven but by Jesus. And Peter in verse 31 says, because he is the captain, the leader, the prince of repentance and salvation. Amen? I know, I get excited about that. He brings repentance. Now, you see, now here we come to this part and we go, wait a minute. I thought all I had to do was believe. 
You do, but you can't believe without repentance. You don't come to God and go, okay, well, I'll get the benefit, but I'm not going to pay the premium. I would love for an insurance say, number one, when somebody comes and says they want to sell me life insurance, I say, that's not possible. You cannot guarantee me to live forever. <laughs> you cannot sell me insurance that will ensure that I live forever. And they always start with, now, if, for something, if something were to happen to you, and I always love that. But you know, when you're a young man, everybody wants to sell you life insurance. You're old guy, they leave you alone because they're not going to make any money on you. But like, I've learned that. But I always look at it and say, what do you mean if something is going to happen to me? I am going to die. How about you? What are you going to do when you die? Where are you going? It was a great witnessing opportunity. If you're a young person, man, it's a great witnessing opportunity. They try to sell you life insurance. They cannot ensure eternal life. I, I'm going to die. I'm going to go away. But can you imagine a guy trying to sell me life insurance? I go, sure, I'll take it. Give it to me. I'll sign. Thank you. No, no, you've got to pay premiums. Oh, I don't want to pay anything more. I just want to know I've got life insurance. Doesn't work that way, does it? Repentance, if there's a price to be paid, it's the price is repentance. Repentance means not only to change my mind, not only to think about it differently, but to act on it differently. I do what I believe. Do you understand that? I act on what I believe. I sincerely believe. Yesterday we were in Lynchburg, my son, if we went for his birthday, which was two weeks ago. That's how our lives run. But his father-in-law has bought an old fire station in downtown Lynchburg. He's going to restore it. It's a great venue. Make it a venue for weddings and stuff, maybe. They're going to live upstairs. And he's it's my, my co-father-in-law. I never know what you call that relationship. But anyway, his name's Tim. Tim is a man. He loves to take things and projects and work on them and do great things with them. So, so I'm excited about that. But he's, he's a former firefighter himself. So he's showing us the firehouse yesterday. And there was a pole that they would grab and slide down. I was wearing shorts. He said, don't slide down because it would burn your legs. you got to have long pants on to do that. And I looked down and I went, because I'm afraid of heights. 95% of the people are, so quit judging. Uh, but, but I looked down and my legs went weak. I was like, oh man, that's, that looks scary. You know what I believe? I believe that if I fell through that hole that hole was in, I would get hurt. So I backed away from the hole. I acted on my belief. Yeah. If you believe Jesus is Son of God and He came and died to, set, to pay for your sin, then you will repent of your sin that put Him on a cross. You say, well, that's too qualified. I thought all I had to do was believe. Let me, let me illustrate. Let's say that you wanted to go to Los Angeles. Or, or I wanted you to go to Los Angeles. And I had the power to tell you to do that. And I said, I want you to leave Stanton and go to Los Angeles. Is that two things or one thing? That's one thing. But it's two sides of the same thing. You can't have the belief side without the repentance side. Does that make sense? Y'all tracking with me? You, you have to, I'm not asking you to agree with me. I just want to make sure it makes sense to you. And I'll let the Lord tell you whether it's true or not. You cannot have belief in a Savior who had to die for your sins. And calls you to a life of holiness unless you believe also that you have to leave the old way of doing things. Unless you believe Colossians 3.3 3, that you have died and now you need to put to death. That you've turned away from death and unto life. It's a two-sided coin. It's a, it's a provision and an obligation. The provision is salvation, but the obligation 
is to repent. To turn away from your sin. Repentance and faith are two sides of that same coin. The starting place of faith is repentance. And you can't have faith without repentance. And then verse 32, just to wrap up. The third great thing that Peter brings out here. We are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. Whom God has given to those who obey Him. Peter's got a bigger backbone than anybody in Scripture at this point in time. Because do you see what he did in less than a paragraph? You killed Jesus and God raised him from the dead. You're the enemy of God. We're on God's side. We're witnesses and so is the Holy Spirit whom God's given to all those who believe in Christ. God has shown that he's on our side by giving us the Holy Spirit. That is the sign that you're a believer. That you've received the Holy Spirit according to Romans chapter 8. Just read it. It, it, it says, if, if you've got the Spirit, you're His. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not His. You receive the Holy Spirit, that's the evidence that you're saved. And all of a sudden, Christ becomes real. The Bible becomes real. Everything becomes real when the Holy Spirit comes into you. And Peter puts himself on the side of God. He says, we apostles, we're on the side of God and you're the enemy of God. You say, what? That, I mean, that'd be like going into the Pope and saying... You're totally wrong. You'd be right to do that. But saying you're totally wrong. Because he believes Mary has something to do with it. You know that you're to be a Mary right now, right? You're supposed to carry Jesus into the world. Just like she did. Don't forget that. You're as good as Mary. We're called to be a witness for God. Now, what does a witness do? Have you ever been a witness? I have. I had to go one time because this, this lady was bipolar and she was coming after me and Janice. And we, she was at the church. We had to call the police and they took her to the mental hospital. She's okay now. She got some help and she's all right. This was many, many years ago. But they asked me to come and testify to what I knew. And I started telling what a nurse had told me, and, they, and the judge said, I don't want to hear that. I said, I'm sorry, what? He said, I don't care what anybody told you. I want to know what you saw. Oh. I had, to, I had to be a witness of what I saw. Peter says, we're witnesses. We saw him. We saw him die. We saw him buried. We saw him raised again. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. And last of all, he was seen of me. Not being the least of the apostles. I always like to ask people, have you seen Christ? Maybe not with the eyes of flesh, but have you seen Jesus with the eyes of faith? Have you seen who he is and what he did? This, this last verse brackets the text starting in verse 29. The Sadducees are opposed to God. The apostles are witnesses for God. And many, many times, if not every time, religion is always opposed to God. Because God is about a relationship with his people. That's what he's always been after. I, I love to ask this question of people. How do people in the Old Testament get saved? Because that's the terms we use in southern United States. You know, in our church culture, we say, have you been saved? You need to get saved. Well, how do you get saved? If I'm drowning in the ocean, I can't get saved. I need somebody to save me, right? So, so that's what has to happen. But how do people in the Old Testament come to know salvation? 
by the same way we do. It's the covenant of Abraham. I express faith in a God who's going to take care of my sin for me. I can't save myself. He's got to do it. And he saves me. Amen? Now I am a witness of that salvation. And that's what God calls us to be. Not to make up a story, not to figure out another way to say it. Just to say, I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, now I see. I was headed to hell, now I'm headed to heaven. And the only difference is Jesus. Who loved me and gave himself for me. He came from heaven to earth, put on a body, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, was buried and rose again on the third day. And said, if I will put my trust in him, he will take care of me for the rest of my life into eternity. Not that everything will be easy, but that he will make sure that I get to heaven in one piece. What can I do about this? First of all, realize that your sin put Jesus on the cross. I can't overemphasize that enough. We don't think sin is really sinful. We We ought to use that term with the hiss of hell running through it. Sin. Because it's it's horrible. Here's what God thinks about sin. Look at Jesus on a cross. Beaten. Skin stripped off of him. Naked. Ashamed. Embarrassed. A crown of thorns on his head. Totally tortured and annihilated and put on a cross to die. That's what God thinks about sin. And it's your sin. It's my sin. I put him there. And i got to look at it that way. And I've got to realize that or I won't see of what I need to repent. Then secondly, follow Jesus in repentance. Because he is the captain of it. Did Jesus have to repent? Not the way we do. He, he certainly did not have to change his mind or turn away from his sin. But he is the captain that allows us to repent. He is the leader. He led the way. So now we have the grace of God, the power of God to repent. Because apart from him, I have no power in myself. The Bible says I was dead in trespasses and sin. So if I walked up to a coffin tomorrow with a dead body in it and said, Hey man, you just won the lottery. They are not going to jump on and go, Woo! Because they're dead. You walk up to a dead man and say, Jesus died for you. You're still dead. But the Bible says, but you has he made alive that you can have faith in him. That you can trust in Christ. That you can believe in. If you, if you realize you're a sinner and you need a savior, that's the Holy Spirit telling you that. And so follow Jesus and repent. And you say, well, I've already realized that. And I'm saying, great. Tomorrow, follow Jesus. Today, follow Jesus in repentance. Tomorrow, follow Jesus. Always be repentant of your sin. Live a lifestyle of repentance. Because I had somebody tell me recently, they were in a Sunday school class and, and heard a lady say, sometimes I go two or three weeks without sinning. They said, they almost said, really? Because I've sinned at least 20 times since I got up this morning. You know, we, we need to be more aware of what God calls sin. Sin is not, you know, as we think of sin as don't cuss, smoke, you know, what is it? Smoke, cuss, chew, or run with people who do, something like that. Don't drink, cuss, smoke, chew, or run with people who do. We think that's sin. Sin is a legal standing before God. And sin is something that lives in my body that causes me to want to disobey God. Sin is disobedience against God. It's not like evil things that I do. That's the fruit of it, but that's not... Me doing that is not sin. Me allowing myself to do that is sin. Does that make sense? 
In other words, like the guy that asked me, am I going to hell because I drink? I said, no, you drink because you're going to hell. It was a fruit of who he was. The fruit of being righteous is righteousness. Fruit of being a sinner is sin. Well, I am no longer a sinner. I'm now a saint. But the Bible says sin still dwells in this mortal body. So he put, legally, I'm innocent. Now I'm to take the grace and the power of God to put down sin, to say no to sin. Very interesting. We went to church with my son last night. The pastor last night, John Williamson, I believe was his name. And I want to give credit where it's due. But he, he, he showed me something last night in his sermon. It was this. Where the Bible says to put to death that sin, it literally is the word atrophy. It means don't exercise it. Ignore it. Let it go. When you see that temptation, just turn away and let it die. My mother was sick. When I was 12 years old, my mother almost died. The hospital came home. Back then, they didn't do physical therapy. Didn't under, we didn't understand all that. And she had laid in a hospital bed for three months. She could not stand up on her own strength out of a chair. It was a year before she could even stand up. We had to pull her up out of the chair. Had to help her all the time because her muscles had atrophy. That's when I learned that word. I was only 12. Had to look it up, and now I know it. The word atrophy. And if you don't use it, you lose it. That's how we say it. That's the definition of atrophy. That's what the Bible says about putting to death sin. Yeah, there's a showdown with sin. We turn away from sin. It's Jesus paid for it on the cross. But when sin rears its ugly head in my life, I ignore it and I turn to Christ and go to Christ. And I, as, in ignoring it, it atrophies and the power gets less and less and less and less. You get that? That really helped me last night, by the way. And I'm 59. I've been saved for, for 51 years. And that was really good. I, I, I really appreciate that. Because here, here's the third thing I want you to know. Be aware that the witness is us and the Holy Spirit. We're a witness for Christ, but it's got to be in the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. I was talking about that this morning, and I, I, I read a guy one time, and he said, it doesn't say you won't be a witness if you are not walking with Christ. It just means you'll be a bad witness, because you are a witness. When you claim the name of Jesus, everybody's looking at you. When, you. when Jesus lives in you, you are his witness. What kind of witness are you going to be? Yesterday, college football. Today, professional football. When every guy steps onto the field, he's reflecting his coach and his team and his teammates, isn't he? And when a guy messes up, it's not just on him. He's reflecting on his, whole, his coach. When a team is losing, who do they fire? Because the coach didn't teach them right, lead him right, right? We need a better coach to teach these boys better so they can do better. You're a witness for Christ. And when you don't do it right, you're saying Christ doesn't do it right. People get confused about this. You know, they come to church, they see hypocrites, and they, they blame Jesus for it. Jesus is perfect. We're the disobedient ones. And, but, but my point is this, that you're a witness for Christ... But the Holy Spirit is your companion. He helps you in your witness. And you know what the word for witness is? Martyr. In other words, you better die to yourself if you're going to be a witness to Christ. You better repent of your sin, die to yourself, and live only for Jesus. That's why I call this sermon today, This is About Jesus. He came so that we could repent, that we could trust, and that we could obey. That's three new words 
for the three points I just made today. Repent, trust Christ, and obey Him.